0: This is Jerry Johnson, and you're listening to the Avalanche Hour podcast. And that we can model these human behaviors, um, whether you're selling cars or selling candidates or making a decision about what to ski. It disappoints me sometimes when I see the community unwilling to to take the credit for their expertise.
1: You are tuned into episode 4.18 of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by TAS by MND, an avalanche of solutions. And our good friends at 10 Barrel Brewing. Drink beer outside. With additional support from InterWest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Well, it certainly does seem as time, time moves on that, that there's quite a bit more movement out in the world. Um, at least in in my part of the world. Uh, I'm seeing quite a bit more traveling and outdoor recreation going on. Um, Hopefully everybody's doing that in a responsible way. You know, I was thinking about it the other day as, as things start to open back up, and at least for me, maybe work starts to resurface a little bit, doing some guiding. Uh, there's still a hazard out there, uh, not the typical hazard we think about when we're recreating outside in the backcountry environment, whether it's an alpine environment or a, a snow and avalanche environment. Um, but but yeah, this pandemic is still going on, and and as we as it becomes more normalized, it's easy to get a bit complacent about uh, our our reactions and 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 actions that we're taking about it. Um, so. I was thinking the other day about how it's it's not unlike having a strategic mindset about going about um, traveling an avalanche train or operating guide service in in a snow and avalanche arena. Um, so perhaps moving forward here, um, at least for myself, moving forward into into some guiding, um, it's really an assessment mindset um, of of there's been a significant change in the way of operations Um, there's some new hazards out there and in order to safely operate we have to adapt so hope you all are doing that in your own way in your own lives uh, professionally and personally yeah what else we got going on hope you guys are getting out on dirt maybe out on the water seems like that's the spring springtime is the time of multi-sport days right you can still get some skiing in up high you work your aspects well and your timing is, is critical to not only stay safe but actually get good riding so hope you guys are doing that maybe get some beach time some some supping that's pretty hot these days so maybe you're doing some sup yoga i don't know what you're into but whatever you're doing i hope you're uh, having fun doing it as always, big shout out to the sponsors of the show here. Can't do it without you guys. TAS by MND, makers of GazX, Flex, Daisy Bell, Obo- X products that are the leaders in the remote avalanche control systems game, um, enabling a safer avalanche mitigation program for whatever scale you're at, whether it's a ski area, Highway operation, infrastructure, safety, whatever your needs, TAS by MND has you covered. Check those guys out. And of course, right up the road for me, 10 Barrel Brewing out of Bend, Oregon. Of course, brew pubs in San Diego, Boise, Denver, uh, Bend, and Portland. Check those out as your local restaurants and bars start to open up. And of course, InterWest Insurance. good friends down there and Chico thank you so much for your support your continued support Um, appreciate you guys all right so a snow scientist an economist and a social scientist walk into a bar they decide to go skiing together the next day and through that they determine that they they all have something to offer for a better understanding of how we make decisions out in the snow and avalanche environment um, uh, if, if you have been listening to the show for a little bit, um, especially this season, you've probably picked up that there's there's been some heavy influence from Bozeman, Montana, and Montana State University. I was up there this last fall doing some interviews, um, and so this interview is a, a, a result of that. Um, I, however, felt a bit undergunned academically wandering around that campus. It's been Quite a number of years since I've sat in a lecture hall. Um, but I did find that kind of the key to talking to all these really intelligent people is I would just kind of throw out the, the phrase data set. You know, if I threw out the phrase data set, I think that was like my in with the the academic crowd up there at MSU. So we talk a little bit about data sets with Jerry Johnson. But more importantly, we talk about uh, the work that Jerry and Yordi and Andrea are doing with a white heat project, which came out of the, the inception of the tracks program. Jerry will talk all about that. And we dive a little bit further into this idea about positionality, which Yordi had had introduced to us in the previous episode. So that's probably enough yammering for me from now, for now. Um, so without further ado, here we go with a great interview. Dr. Jerry Johnson. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Thanks for making the time. You bet. It's nice to be at MSU. And uh, I I walked into the political science building here. Mm hmm. Right. And uh, so you're a political science professor. And maybe the the lines get blurred a little bit between some of the things that you study and, and do some research on.
0: Yeah, in in fact, I don't know that anyone's ever asked me that question. Mm. What's a political scientist doing in the snow? Um, I wish I had some really well-thought-out strategy for this, but I don't. Uh, I could tell you that our decisions that we make on the snow are similar to the decisions that we make voting or living other parts of our lives. And I think to an extent that's true. But it's not like I'm trying to design some big model or overarching theory. Mostly, I'm a really keen skier. Um, I really enjoy the community and the research and education community around it. And I really enjoy the people that I get to work with. Mm -hmm. So I get to scratch all kinds of itches.
1: All right. Well, Why don't you introduce yourself? Just give us your background and... Um, when did you first get interested in snow and avalanches? Where are you from? Kind of that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, I grew up in North Idaho. Um, skied at a, at a little ski area called Jackass Ski Bowl, which is not much bigger today, but um, started skiing at Lookout Pass when I was about three. So I've been skiing a little over 60 years now. Um, did a little working in the industry, did a little patrolling, a little teaching, a little racing. Found myself here. I've uh, been in Bozeman for 30 years and hooked up with Jordi Hendrix um, at the Alaska ISSW, which was probably what, eight or ten years ago, something like mm-hmm. that. And we started brainstorming some work. Um, Scotty Savage actually got me up there, and we were, he was very interested in doing some work on, on safety culture. And I knew Scotty from, from patro- patrolling. And um, At Big Sky? At, at Big Sky. Yeah. And he was on his way out and I was on my way in. And uh, so we got together and, and ended up doing some, I think, some really nice work on, on the safety culture of avalanche professionals, guides, patrols, um, educators. And we, we published that paper a couple of years after that. And then Yordi and I really started taking off on this, on this tracks program. And that was started totally by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Anchorage ISSW, peeps had come out with this with this beacon that had a GPS built into it, and we thought, "Wow, if we ha- if people are going to carry this thing anyway, what could we learn from following their tracks?" People tell us they do things, but their tracks are actually marks in the snow. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of crapped out because the beacon didn't really work all that well <laughs> but we followed it up and and um wrote a little log book and gave people some gps units and tested it and then we went to this crowd-based methodology and that really snowballed we did that for several years and you know yordi really has a great sense of of the whole package of how these skiers are interacting both with the snow and with the terrain. I was able to bring some some survey research skills to it. Um, We ended up collecting I think over 5,000 tracks from basically every alpine country in the world. Uh, We were still analyzing those things that that was a really successful and fun project. Um, And then he managed to hook up with Andrea Momberg in Tromsø, Norway, and she was successful in getting some funding. So now we have this really nice research group. We have a, a psychologist. We have a behavioral economist. We have Jordi as a snow scientist. We have me as a social scientist. So we're really able to do some some pretty cool stuff, both in the computer with surveys and then on the snow kinds of surveys. And, and we've kind of ranged from ski porn to gps tracks to keeping up with the joneses it's been really fun but it all started with with scotty reaching out and saying hey i need some help doing this kind of research let's work together Mm -hmm. and you know i was more than happy to to jump on that bandwagon with him sure Um,
1: so that so that started just as you guys handing out or I guess when the peeps didn't work out with the GPS you just started handing out GPSs to people and and asked them to take them backcountry skiing is that the gist of it
0: yeah we had these little $200 GPS units and a little mm-hmm. waterproof notebook that they were supposed to take with them and fill in this this logbook of all their trips and we probably maybe collected 15 trips through the winter you know so we went from stubby pencils now to basically easy to use turnkey computer surveys, and it's and it's been great. And and the ski community's really been all over it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got people from. It seems like no matter where I go, and if I do a talk, we always hear from someone who says, "Hey, I you know I gave you guys some tracks. I was part of that project. That's that's pretty cool."
1: Right. You know? So it started out as you just called it tracks, and now. Um, the kind of collaborative project is White Heat,
0: right, right? Right. And so now tracks is kind of a subset of White Heat. Okay.
1: Um, and so now people are using maybe just the GPS that's on their phone that they'd be using for navigation in the backcountry, anyways, and yeah. saving the tracks and then sending them to you all.
0: Yeah. The smartphone technology made a huge difference because that we have them download this app called uh, Ski Tracks, uh-huh. oddly enough, and they just. Turn that on at the end of the day. They can email that to us. I ping them back immediately with a electronic survey so they can tell us some things about themselves, what their goals were for the day, some of, some of the behavioral things. And then that's just all seamlessly submitted to our servers and we can store it and analyze it later. What sort of analyzing are you doing of the data? Um, well, of, of just the tracks, we can, we can look at the terrain that people use. Um, You know, one of the conceptions or misconceptions or opinions is that more experienced, the higher educated people, avalanche educated people, maybe get after it more. Maybe there's a demographic that takes more risks. Um, Maybe people spend less time thinking about the present conditions than getting the goods on some spunky terrain and that increases risk. Oddly enough, we don't see a lot of that. Mm. Uh, you know, the the it's almost as if this world, this ski world, is so heavily focused on the the really handful of accidents that happen every year. They're tragic. We hate to see that. You hate to see injuries. But the incidence of accidents is going down as a percentage of the skiers and snowmobilers out there. We know that. Carl Berklin's done a lot of good work on that. Um, Yet this community is really focused on accidents. And the way, one thing that that I like to try to do when we look at these tracks and we look at the demographics of the different tracks um, is reframe that and go, you know, most people are doing exactly what we would expect them to do. You take an awareness class, you take a level one, level two, maybe you just have a lot of experience, chances are you're doing the right thing. And, you know, so this, every once in a while, you'll see this questioning, does avalanche education really work? Hell yes, it works. You know, there's more people out there, there's more people taking level ones, and there's fewer accidents. Mm -hmm. I, you don't have to be a physicist to make the connections there, um, people really are paying attention and doing the right thing and probably having a lot of fun while they do it, Yeah, which is what it's all about. Right.
1: So, so where in lies the problem in your
0: opinion? Accidents are very spectacular
1: mm-hmm. and the
0: media always covers them. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, whether it's local media or national media like New York Times and Snowfall or... Um, black diamond powder with the human factor. Mm -hmm. You know, that was all focused on accidents. And it just seems to kind of be part of the culture. You know, when these things occur, someone loses a friend or family member. That's always a tragic story. But, and the media isn't really sophisticated enough to tell the positive side of the story. And, and you know, I, I don't want to blame just the magazines and the filmmakers, but, um, and it is part of the sport, the spectacular ride down through the powder off an Alaska rib and you survive it. But, you know, there, there's, what we don't see is just the thousands of people that are out touring, skiing, really fun terrain, really fun snow. Um, and so I kind of think it's just a lack of attention. Mm. Um, I don't think it's really anyone's fault. It's just where it, it's it's what attracts media. Sure, it's
1: media a little bit problems. harder to sensationalize. Like, hey, I turned around today. Right, right. I, right. Like, I went down my up track. Like, right. nobody's really, right. there's no attention on that.
0: And and, and I'm not sure the, the avalanche education puts as much on it. Right. You know, the, the major sort of paradigm in avalanche education with, with respect to humans, setting aside the snow science part of it, is this uh, work on heuristics that Ian McCammon did. Mm-hmm. Fantastic work. I mean, he really paid his dues on that. You know, tallying up all these accident reports. It was, what, something near 700 accident mm-hmm. reports. And then trying to discern some causes and and uh, human human behaviors that went along with that. And I think when he did that, that was probably more the case than it is today. Mm. I think there was probably more ignorance, um, maybe less awareness of how to deal with terrain, maybe less awareness of ourselves as skiers. And now I see that that um, a lot of the accidents are, are experts making conscious decisions to go out and ski sketchy terrain Take big chances, and of course, there's social media rewards for that. There's financial rewards with sponsors. Um, we we've actually just done some work on on something that behavioral economics called positionality, and you can think of it as is our efforts to keep up with the Joneses. Mm. We actually wrote a wrote an article called "Keeping Up with Jeremy Jones," mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and um, the idea there is that probably especially young people um, what they, they see a group of people, a tribe that they want to be a part of. Um, gee, I want to, I want to be like the TGR guys. I want to be like the pro skiers. So I'm going to behave in such a manner as to get their approval, their affirmation. And so to be positional is to change your behavior or act in such a way as to attract that affirmation attract that being part of a crowd and i think that has a lot of explanatory power in in these these expert related accidents no one wants to be the guy who turned around went down a skin track right sure um if not if you want to be one of the cool people on the hill Mm -hmm. be accepted to that crowd Um, so i think the nature of causes has probably changed uh just as human nature's changed i think over that 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. 20 years um but we'll see we're going to do some more work on that and and uh we'll see how it turns out
1: cool how about uh, i mean how about the role of social media what do you any thoughts on that in, in terms of the
0: the yeah. risks that we're willing to take oh i think it's i think it's pretty big <laughs> yeah. um and i Especially for a certain demographic, right? Um, you know, i I've got a I've got a twenty seven year old kid who is not much on social media, um, and I think who has incredibly good judgment. Skiing, kayaking, doing all the all the sports that he does, and then I look at some of his friends who are on social media, and their behaviors are quite different. Huh. And you know. That's not scientific, but it's something I observe. And I think it's something that, that as a ski world, as, as researchers interested in, in doing better education, maybe not minimizing the number of accidents, because I think we're almost at a minimal number. We're, we're doing really well there. But in an effort to, to revise education and appeal to this, this younger demographic, social media has to be a part of it Mm -hmm. and and i don't know that there's been a lot of great work in the avalanche world on social media so maybe we maybe we need to do some
1: Mm. yeah there's certainly some in my opinion some good stuff going on from the information side of things from avalanche centers right getting the the word out on social media but maybe we need some better positive Influencers, right? We hear the mm-hmm. word influencer a lot right. in social media, and maybe we need some more positive influencers within the avalanche world on mm-hmm. social media.
0: And I think there are some. Yeah. I think TGR has right. really, really stepped up over the years. BCA, uh-huh. um, they're doing some great videos. It's not that it's out there, right. not out there. Yeah, it's that it, it's competing for attention sure. with another set of influencers. Yeah, and. I, you know, maybe that's just a structural part of the market, and and as long as it stays fresh and there's lots of ideas floating around out there, maybe it'll all sort out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not I'm not real big on telling people what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah, know, we're up here North in Montana Idaho. where it's very libertarian <laughs> in North Idaho, and and uh, we're not about to tell people how to behave. Sure, but we can give them cues.
1: Yeah, and you can look at trends, right? Yeah. Um, so how does this research? That you're doing here and, and working with some students. How does this fit into the snow science program at MSU?
0: Human behavior matters to virtually every part of our life and that we can model these human behaviors, um, whether you're selling cars or selling candidates or making a decision about what to ski. Um, I think that's our fault, the, the social science part. Um, the social science People, and there's not a lot of us, a lot of people that are working in this in this human factors area are not trained social scientists. Um, Ian's a good example. He's an engineer. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he's a really good engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wasn't trained as a social scientist. And so there's there are some maybe sampling difficulties, maybe some uh, data difficulties that the social science node of this really needs to... I think kind of get their act together. So one of the things that I'd like to do in the next year or so is we've got surveys floating all over the world. Um, people are asking about behaviors, they're asking about demographics, education, you know, the whole array of questions that you see on these on these surveys. We need to standardize those questions because I I can look at a question on a survey and I can often identify kind of a poor quality question. There's an art and a craft to writing these things. There's an art and a craft to delivering them. Um, so, you know, at some ISSW in the future, I would love to see the, that social science group get together and determine a research agenda. What are our important questions? What's missing? What do we know? Um, what kind of survey questions can we standardize? And delivering them. And I think that would, we would then be closer to on par with the snow science people mm-hmm. who now have a methodology for, you know, a various array of pitch. You have the swag. We need a, a, a human factor swag, mm. basically. And I, and I think, I think we can get there, but right now nobody's really driving it. So. Apparently, if no one's going to drive that bus, I might have to grab the keys and go. <laughs> All
1: right. There there you have it. You heard it from Jerry Johnson, people. So, Jerry, I was hoping you could maybe explain some of the findings from your research that you feel are the most helpful to recreational backcountry community. And maybe this is from, you know, looking at some of the data from tracks or white heat. Um, but what do, you, what do you feel like is the most notable findings to relay to the recreational community?
0: Mm. One, there's a, there's a, there's a program at a lot of universities called One of Us, and this is a little bit of a digression, but, you know, college students are, are known for, for drinking a little bit sometimes, and, or engaging in other risky behaviors, and one thing that they've discovered over time is, if you point out to young people that not everyone is binge drinking every week and not everyone is having wild sex on the weekends um, that most people have kind of normal behaviors the people that express sort of abnormal behaviors will rein it in hmm. um, so one one thing that I think that we can that we can learn from the tracks and learn from the surveys is not everyone's out there skiing 50-degree slopes in high high avalanche danger. Most people are doing moderate tours, skiing moderate terrain, having a great deal of fun with their friends, and they're not always getting after it. Um, that right there is probably something really important to point out in avalanche courses. Mm. Um, th- this sport is, 90% of this sport is having fun. Mm-hmm. 10% is getting scared. going move some snow around, you know, get that excitement. That's a learning process. We don't want to discourage that. But most of your friends are not doing that all the time. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing that I see in the traps, mm-hmm. uh, for example. Uh, the other thing is, like I said before, education does work. Get an awareness class. Get a level one, um, maybe more than one level one. You know, move through this progression of education with good educators. It matters. It There are... You know, one of the one of the the stellar examples that I see coming out of this is primarily the snow science research is a few years ago, people dug pits on various uh, uh, um, slope angles, and they discovered that you got similar pit results on relatively flat ground as relatively steep ground. We don't need to ski the face anymore and then stop halfway and dig a pit. What a what a piece of insight, you know. It's called free safety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so if I get so if we can come up with some of those things on on the human factor stuff, that'll mm-hmm. that'd be really really fun.
1: Right. Um, Jerry, have you done any
0: research concerning decision making with professionals? Not a lot. Um, you know, we did that safety culture paper uh, that did have some survey questions in it. Um, mostly that was looking at the kinds of organizations they work for Mm. and making the connection between kind of their commitment and engagement with their organization and the safety culture that was reflected and i think what you need to know about that is that if you're a company a guide company a heli ski company a ski area um, a large education provider you'd better set up a safety culture that your employees can believe in and that they can be engaged with and you will have better employees and a better product. Mm. It's This is management 101. But we ran into a fairly good-sized number of people who are working for dysfunctional companies. You know, what a pity. Um, some of these people have some of the best jobs in, in the snow world and they're working for an organization that's dysfunctional what
1: what do you think was the reason for that is it just the it was embedded culture after decades of kind of old guard thinking
0: well you know this this in, well let's let's take the ski area industry mm-hmm. for example how do you become a ski area manager you move up through the ranks uh, maybe you start out as an instructor maybe you take over the ski school then maybe you go be a patrol for a while Pretty soon you find yourself the hill manager, and if you're unlucky, I guess you end up managing the whole shebang. You know, that that is not a recipe for good management. Uh, we do have management programs. There's a very small number of ski area management programs, but that's not where our ski area <laughs> managers come from. They come from within the organization. So how are you gonna learn new ways of behaving if you're a product of the dysfunctional organization? Now, on the other hand, there there were some that were great and both ski areas and and the other people that i'm talking about so it's not a it's not, it's not that one sector of the industry is is dysfunctional and of poor quality but there was enough in there to be concerned mm-hmm. um and and you know what kind of commitment are you going to get from your employees when they're dealing with a potentially dangerous sport whether it's guiding or you know ski patrolling and they feel alienated from the organization you know that's all totally fixable um colin zacharias has thought about this a lot and i've, I've spent some time talking to him he has great ideas but there's only one of him mm-hmm. you know we we really need more people thinking about organizational behavior i think in that in that commercial world mm-hmm. it does seem to be part of the culture, if we can talk about the overall culture, mm-hmm. that the professionals especially beat up on themselves a lot. You know, whenever there's an accident, there's always this introspection and, and it always turns around to someone assuming some blame. Mm. Um, I remember a cover of Tar at some point in the recent past. Are we good or just lucky? And, you know, the the years I've spent in this business, these people are damn good. You know, you look at the, the people in the forecast centers, you look at the avalanche educators, these are really knowledgeable people and they need to take, I, I hate to say an attitude shift, but they really need to take a lot of credit for what they know. You know, when you look at the probably thousands of hours Carl Berkland's put into digging pits and he's given us, he and other people have given us these really accessible um, snowpack tests that anyone can learn in a relatively short period of time. And I think they're pretty good. You know, I certainly use them and I certainly base decisions on the results of, of tests. Take some credit for that. You know, we we really do know how to manage terrain if we choose to. We really do know how to move as a group down a mountain, grab some radio, set up some safe zones. We can make this and we do make this an a incredibly safe sport. And I, I just I, I. It disappoints me sometimes when I see the community unwilling to, to take the credit for their expertise. Mm. Um, I don't know of another sport that does that. By the way, uh, you look at alpine climbing, you look at, at uh, uh, high-end whitewater kayaking, you know, they, they have fully engaged a lot of safety procedures and safety practices. And they're pretty proud of that. You know, I, I, I've spent a lot of, a lot of years in the, in the high-end kayaking world. And I tell you, they have, they have set up a series of ways of descending a river, that work and and there's no second guessing themselves they know they work Mm -hmm. and i and i would really love to see the snow community kind of adopt that stance a little bit more positively because the the accidents are not the cause of most of the time the accidents are not the cause of somebody forgot to teach this in an avalanche class or or it was it was a judgment call on the skier themselves
1: Mm -hmm. so you're saying we're not quite as bad as we think we are
0: i think we're a lot better than you would think we are.
1: Uh Yeah. Well, that's good to hear.
0: Well, one of, one of the kind of downsides of all this human factor work has been that, that it seems like people dig fewer pits. Well, if I just communicate with my partner and think about the terrain and not commit one of these heuristic traps, then we're good to go. We'll do a little hand pit on the way and, and ski. And, you know, I, and I think I certainly have noticed um, that people do talk about digging fewer and fewer pits. Mm. And, you know, I'm kind of with Doug Chabot on this. The only way to figure out what the snow is going to do is grab a shovel. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, it's a great excuse to stop, get a rest, have a cup of tea and a conversation about what we see. Um, so, I, you know, you, it's not just that... If we just get our decision making better, it can alleviate these accidents. It's it's a it's a matrix of skills and crafts, you know, between digging and terrain and thinking about our partners, choosing the right partner, uh, choosing the right route, day, making a plan, having a radio. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty complex sport, and these especially young skiers are such good skiers right out of the gate that, and then they, so they, you know, they take an awareness class. Um, I just, I just think we need to sometimes slow it down and learn the craft Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Um, You know, some of the, some of the guys that I get to ski with sometimes have, have been out there for 30 or 40 years and, you know, they're still learning. And they're and they but they're not humble about it mm. they're learning they're getting after it they're having a, a ball but they have the attitude that yeah I, I do know something at this point point. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully you know some of them pass it on
1: right Jerry you have any stories of, of your personal skiing where maybe you made a, a good or a bad decision out there I mean, this could be a, a good time to just kind of shift the paradigm and right. yeah, and highlight good decision making instead right. of
0: bad, right? Uh, well, when I was a kid, you know, we used to hike up the ridge and kick off the cornices and then surf on them. Oh. And that was probably, uh, that probably wasn't the best thing to be doing as a eight-year-old kid mm-hmm. uh, but it was a lot of fun probably learned something subliminal about moving snow <laughs> i tend not to do that anymore um i i had one last year that was really gratifying uh, there was a group of us four of us that ski together quite a bit and and we went into this one place that's it, it's a little bit spunky you know you drop down a head wall and then you're into another head wall that's that has a creek running in it gets pretty narrow and uh geez we just worked it perfectly we staged this thing you know from safe spot to safe spot got to the last safe spot and uh it was it was the the conditions were such that you know i knew this ski cut was going to result in something we all got together i said okay i'm going to go from here i'm going to make this ski cut i'm going to dip right into that little pocket in the trees over there did it it released cut loose the slide i was safe they were safe they had eyes on me everybody skied out the rest of the run. It just worked perfect, mm. you know, and that's because we, we slowed down, we communicated, we were paying attention to what was going on in the snow. And that, that run was pretty memorable for me last year um, because it could have gone, it could have gone bad. Mm. Um, it was a pretty big slide, not a, not a huge thing, but it could have buried you pretty easily and hurt you. Um, and we just made it work. That was super gratifying.
1: Yeah. sounds like good execution right and yeah like it's fun an appropriate use of a ski cut yeah sometimes yeah. people don't quite understand that perhaps yeah yeah well, that's good <laughs> Jerry any any books or papers that you've read lately that have kind of got your mind thinking that would be helpful for the snow and avalanche community
0: yeah I just I just ran across a paper the other day called boys will be boys it's about investing yeah. and it's exactly what you would thing now investing is a high stakes decision just like skiing Um, young men single invest at a higher rate turn over their stocks at a higher rate and don't really win any bigger than married men older men women exactly what we'd expect but they're willing and able to take more risk Hmm. Um, so i thought that one was good a book that has got no press, um, that I think is really useful for for people who are interested in this stuff to read, is co- is called The Hour Between Wolf and Dog, and it's written by a, a British um, investment guy. He he made his fortune on on Wall Street and in the city, and then went back for a PhD in in psychology, and so and it's very similar. He's looking at investment risk. And especially between people and this whole idea of positionality and and the kind of, of sometimes ignorance risk that people will take on in the finance world. It's, it's really a wonderful book. And it's short, easy to read, um, probably a better use of your time than reading Thinking Fast and Slow, which is going to take you six months at minimum.
1: All right. There <laughs> you have it. Well, Jerry, thanks for taking the time today to sit down and chat about some of the work that you're doing out there. Where can where can people find some more out about the uh, White Heat project or get you tracks?
0: They can they can Googleize the White Heat project. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll come right up. Um, they can go to the Snow and Avalanche Lab here at Montana State, sign up for, on the Tracks project, take a look at the surveys, take a look at some videos that we that we've done. Um, we we don't have it posted yet, but we have a pretty fun video on um, sort of uh, powder pornography. Mm-hmm. And um, but we do have some articles up there, both in the the general public and some journal articles. But yeah, there's lots of information out there to the uh, snow and avalanche lab.
1: Great. Well, it's, it seems like a great way to be part of the community and be part of this research because you're gonna go skiing anyways. Right? Oh yeah. It's um, been a lot of fun. And motorized used to with the tracks program or.
0: Yeah. You know, that's a tough one. We've, we've tried to get in with the, with the motorized people and it's a tough group to, to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, it would really help if I was a better writer mm-hmm. and I'm not. Um, but it's also, I think just culturally, I think there's a cultural history there of mm-hmm. not always meshing well with the skiers and, um, Boy, it, it's, it's been really hard. And mm. so we have not done a lot of, of either tracking or surveying of, of snowmobilers, which is too bad because I think it's a, a group that, it, you know, the, their world is very, very different than our world mm. in terms of they'll go through maybe a 100 sensitive areas on a single afternoon yeah. and travel miles and miles. And we'll cross one or two right and right. they do it at speed which has its advantages and disadvantages so yeah that's been that's been kind of a frustration that I'd, I'd sure like to figure out a solution to it
1: yeah well maybe somebody that's listening to this would want to reach out and help you with some of that research or it sounds like a good graduate research project
0: yeah and um we just haven't had good luck with it
1: all right yeah. um well yeah jerry thanks again for sitting down and, and chatting about some of this stuff today and appreciate your time and yeah, thanks
0: for the conversation. You bet. Cheers. Bye.
1: Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend. If you want to go a step further, rate and review us on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on it does help if you have feedback for the show and you want to send that to me directly you can send it to the avalanche hour podcast at gmail.com and i'll make sure to return your email if you have a story that you want to tell or some news that you want to share with the community uh, especially for next season's episodes which, which will start in october you can reach out through that email as well uh, check out the website triplew.theavalanchehour.com for links to other shows and contributor bios, that sort of thing. Check that out. There's also a store there. You could buy some swag to help support the show. Uh, give us a follow on the socials. We are at the Avalanche Hour podcast. That's for Instagram and Facebook. Uh, music Today was performed. The top of the hour by sun squabby with the track wizard and peeling us out is the ever popular grammatic with afternoon soul of course our artwork was created by mike t you demand t and until next time stay tuned stay safe and keep having fun out there whatever you do do it nicely cheers